0: His and hers horror features two adults discussing horror movies, serial killers, and other spooky content that may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to His and Hers Horror. My name is Tia.
1: And I'm David.
0: And it's June.
1: It is June.
0: Happy Pride Month, Indeed. everybody. It is Pride Month mm-hmm. for the month of June. I am a cis bi woman, happy and proud to be so.
1: Cis here.
0: Yay. So we'd like to wish a safe and happy Pride to all of our LGBTQIA siblings. We're recording this on like the 4th, so it's not been Pride for very long. But we hope everybody's having a great time and feeling safe and... Loved. And loved and happy. Yes. Yeah. So this week we are doing our first director spotlight of season four. Yes. We have done um, a couple before we've spotlighted.
1: Ari Aster. Ari
0: Aster, Jordan Peele, John Carpenter. Mm-hmm. So longtime listeners will know, I don't really do body horror. Um, at least not that much. You
1: said that like it was brunch.
0: I... Listen. There's just something I have a couple of very very weird very specific phobias, but I'm trying to get better, at least to a point. So this week we are looking at the life and work of Canadian body horror maestro David Cronenberg.
1: Indeed.
0: So, yeah, this is going to be fun. Uh it has been. It uh, We'll, we'll get into it. Yes. But before that, dun, dun 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 This week in horror. Ooh. Yeah.
1: It's back.
0: It's back. It's back and I don't I can't say better than ever because I don't really know. Um I guess we'll find out.
1: Better than nothing. <laughs> back and better than nothing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, sure. Um so I have two little horror tidbits uh for this week in horror. Uh the first is um Season six of Black Mirror. Yes. Is on the way. Uh, season six premieres on Netflix, at least in the US. I don't know about everywhere else. But June 15th. Nice. And we watched the trailer for season six the other day. It looks really good. hmm. Some interesting concepts. And I've all, I've, I've kind of gotten, I've been in and out of Black Mirror. Sometimes I'll watch it religiously, and other times I'm just kind of like meh on it.
1: It's one of my two go tos if I want to feel good. Really? Yeah.
0: Okay. What's your other one? Death Note. Oh, right. I forgot about I the, forgot that about you.
1: The anime, not the any of the live actions.
0: Right, 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 right. Yeah. I, though I did find out recently there is a Death Note musical.
1: Yeah, you told me about that and I was um, very baffled.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know. I'll have to look into that a little more at some point. My other piece of news, there is another Terrifier movie in the works. Are you kidding me? I am not. Wow. Uh, we have already gotten two Terrifier films. We haven't seen the second one yet.
1: No, but I'm ready to see more Art the Clown.
0: Well, okay. So filming is, filming is expected to begin in November or December of this year. Although um, that may be affected by the writer's strike. Which, Fair. you know, I most recently I saw something that they may actually be coming to terms. I'm not sure how accurate that is. But yeah, as depending on how things go with the writer's strike, filming is set to begin in November, December. Director Damien Leon says, Terrifier 3 will be another boundary-pushing addition to the horror genre containing the no-holds-barred, uncompromising exploits fans of the franchise have come to expect and celebrate. He then went on to add, If you thought Art the Clown's reign of terror in Part 2 was extreme, you haven't seen anything yet.
1: And I've heard it's more extreme than the first.
0: Which was pretty extreme.
1: Yeah. It had me in pieces.
0: David.
1: Hmm. I'm going to revel that one later.
0: You're going to what that one later?
1: I'm going to revel in that one later.
0: Okay. You have fun with that. All right. I think I've decided occasionally on This Week in Horror. I might do, I might add in a book review. Cool. But I don't have anything written up this week. So maybe next episode. Awesome. I'll, I'll review a a horror-adjacent book, it sometimes it may not necessarily be horror adjacent, it may be more true crime adjacent, but I'll just, be, it'll just depend on what I'm reading at the time. We'll see.
2: Good
1: deal.
0: All right. So that is it for this week in horror. Let's, let's get into it. Awesome. So David Cronenberg, I feel like you can't mention Body of Horror without his name being like the first name on everyone's lips. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Uh, so David Cronenberg is, uh, as I mentioned previously, he's Canadian. Yes. Born March 15th, 1943 in Toronto, Ontario. Shout out to our Canadian listeners. Hello. Hello. His mom, Esther, was a musician. His dad, Milton, was a writer and editor. Okay. And his sister is Carol Spire. She's an art director. She's actually worked on most of his films. Oh, neat. Yeah. It's a very, it's very cool when you start to look at his family that they're all kind of like in the arts to some degree. Yeah. It's very interesting.
1: That, that makes for having a career in the arts a little bit easier when it's like, well, if you want to talk to that person or, or learn about this, you know, I'll talk to some people and see what we can do. And you can call that Nepo if you want, but everyone's going to use connections if they can.
0: Right. I, I have an issue. This is, this is a little side note. I have a problem with people calling out nepotism in the entertainment industry, but not literally every under, other industry that exists. Right. Because you can't tell me that there isn't nepotism in... The legal field, politics, medicine, business, finance, literally every other job pretty much has some form of nepotism. And it's not even necessarily nepotism, it's just using your established connections, which I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with as long as you're qualified for the position. Right. It's when you're not that there's a problem. Yes. In my opinion. But anyway, attended high school at Harvard Collegiate Institute. Nice. And North Toronto Collegiate Institute. He then attended uh, University of Toronto initially to study science hmm. and uh, but then switched to English language and literature. okay, which yeah, makes some sense if you look at the works that he has written. there's it's very much like it, there's a, a clear influence from science fiction. I'll get into that a little more here in a bit. Uh, he has been married twice. His first marriage was to uh, Margaret Hinson. that was from 1972 to 1979. They had one child, a daughter named Cassandra. He actually revealed in 1992 that the movie The Brood Mm -hmm. was inspired by the events that occurred during the end of that first marriage. Oh, wow. He actually referred to it as his own twisted version of Kramer versus Kramer. Okay. So, like, some of the animosity, like, like, Nola is based on his ex-wife. Wow. (laughs)
1: Wow, just some of the imagery there. I'm like, okay. Yeah. I mean, some people pay for therapists and other people make make movies, you know? Yeah. Sure.
0: His second wife was film editor Carolyn Zeifman. They were married in 1979 and they were together until her death in
2: 2017.
0: Oh, okay. Uh, They have two children, Brandon and Caitlin, who are both also in the film industry. Brandon is becoming a fairly well-known director. Caitlin is a photographer, writer, director, does a little bit of everything. Nice. Yeah. So this is interesting. So various countries, when they have someone and like a citizen that they want to honor for something Mm -hmm. other than like military service. So advancements in the fields of the arts or science or mathematics or something. Most countries have some sort of designation that they can honor. So like, I know in like the UK, you can be knighted.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, you've got OBE and stuff like
0: that yeah in the yeah. in the US we have like not Medal of Honor I don't know there's 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 stuff
1: yeah there, there's civilian
0: civilian awards. honors and awards yeah. so they have them in Canada too because okay. of course yeah right. most countries have something so he was made an officer of the Order of Canada in 2002 and was promoted to companion of the Order of Canada in 2014 which is the order's highest rank nice. Also in 2014, he was made a member of the Order of Ontario in recognition for being, quote, Canada's most celebrated internationally acclaimed filmmaker. Nice. Yeah. So the Order of Canada is a Canadian state order. It's the second highest honor for merit in the system of orders, decorations and medals for Canada after the Order of Merit. The Order of Ontario is the most prestigious official honor In the province of Ontario. Makes sense. It was actually instituted in 1986 by Lieutenant Governor Lincoln Alexander on the advice of the cabinet under Premier David Peterson. It's administered by the Lieutenant Governor and Council. And it's intended to honor current or former Ontario residents for achievements in pretty much any field. Nice. If that makes sense. I just, I didn't know what those were. And I was like, most of our... Listeners are American, so they probably don't know what that is either. And I thought I'd give a little bit of information. Mm -hmm. Are you looking something up?
1: Yeah, I was going to find the Presidential Medal of Freedom, I think is the highest one we have.
0: I think you're right. All right. So that's what I have for like, mostly his personal life. Uh, Let's move into his career. Sure. So he started this thing called the Toronto Film Co-op with Ivan Reitman, who most people know as the writer director of Ghostbusters? Ghostbusters. He did a lot of other stuff prior to his his passing. Uh, And Ian Ewing in the early 1970s. And throughout the 1970s, most of his films were financed by the Canadian government. Really? Cool. Yeah. So there is this thing. David Cronenberg, in addition to being being Canadian, he is a staunchly Canadian filmmaker. So almost all of his films are filmed not just in Canada but in Ontario. Hmm. And most of his films are financed, at least in part, by this group called Telefilm Canada.
1: Okay. Yeah. I've seen their work. I've, yeah. I've, I've, I've seen the, you know, the, the end plate or whatever. Yeah. Uh, for various productions. Yeah.
0: So to give a little bit of background, Telefilm Canada is a crown corporation that reports to Canada's federal government through the Minister of Canadian Heritage. It's headquartered in Montreal, and it provides services to Canadian audiovisual industry. They have offices in uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, Toronto, Ontario, Montreal, Quebec, and Halifax, Nova Scotia. Nice. And the primary goal of the corporation is to finance and promote Canadian, the Canadian filmmaking, basically.
1: I mean, you had me sold at Tim Hortons in Poutine. So, I mean, you know.
0: I just think it's really interesting, because I don't think we have anything like this in the United States.
1: Uh, Probably because we just kind of walk around going, well, we're obviously the best, right? Right. 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 You know. No,
0: I know. But yeah, he- We
1: we don't ask, we assume.
0: Yeah. But he is a very vocal supporter of government-backed film projects, basically saying, um, he's quoted as saying, every country needs a system of government grants to have a national cinema in the face of Hollywood. Mm-hmm. So basically, saying like Hollywood's great and all, but they're not the end all, be all. Which right. they're they're not. They're great, but meh.
1: it does they, become it a, has
0: their, they have their drawbacks.
1: Well, I mean, it becomes a bit insular when the entire world looks at one. I mean, let's let's face it. Compared to all the other cities in the world, rather small location. Yeah. To concentrate all films in the world, that's not that's not a thing. That's, right. I mean, it's been proven. Yeah. Time and time again. So.
0: So, Rabbit, his second feature-length film, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: that was his breakthrough hit with international distributors, and then after that, it just kind of, like, his career kind of, like, took off a little bit. And um, while he's known for body horror, he doesn't necessarily do just that, because he does have films outside the genre. Specifically, um, 2005's A History of Violence, and 2007's Eastern Promises. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Both of those star Vigo Mortensen?
0: I uh, know one of them did. Um, now I have to look it up because now I don't know. I think A History of Violence has uh, Oscar Isaac and Jessica Chastain in it.
1: I'm sorry, folks, for derailing this this discussion. I, I was just like, that's really interesting that you named two films.
0: So, yeah, Vigo Mort- yeah, Mortensen is in A History of Violence. Mm-hmm. Okay, you are correct. He's also in Easter Promises.
1: Well, there you go. Neat. That does not necessarily mean if you see Vigo Mortensen that... It won't be body horror.
0: Well, because Viggo Mortensen is in David Cronenberg's most recent film, Crimes of the Future. Right. So, yeah. One of the things that I know you really like to look at, especially now, is music. Yes. So, a lot of directors, they have, like, one composer that they tend to use. Spielberg usually uses John Williams. Um, Jordan Peele, for all three of his films, has used Michael Abel's, if I remember correctly. Yeah. So, Cronenberg is no different. Right. And he has collaborated with Howard Shore on all of his films since The Brood, except for The Dead Zone. Yep. Which I thought was interesting. He has acted some. He's got cameos in several of his films. Yeah. But he's also just acted like as an actor, Hmm. uh, specifically in Nightbreed. Okay. And the TV show's Alias.
1: Right, Nightbreed. He was the doctor. Yes, that asshole doctor. Yeah. Okay.
0: Uh, he was on the TV show Alias.
1: Okay. Which I
0: didn't know because I never really watched it.
1: I may have caught one or two episodes. It seemed cool, but I, I couldn't even tell you anything about it.
0: Yeah, he was also on a season of uh, Slasher. Really? Yeah, there was a season called where the um, it was called Flesh and Blood. Was the shit.
1: That's the Canadian anthology series, right?
0: Yes, which is amazing. It's so good. good. <laughs> I would say I, I would say slasher for the most part is better than American horror story.
1: It's at least on par, but I agree there there there's it's less It's more con- focused. It's more focused, less contrivance, less, ooh, let's see how we can surprise people and just saying let's tell the story. Not to say that American horror story is awful, just that some of them didn't hit for me.
0: Well, and it's it's very much it focuses on like one story pretty much and is not like let's see how much random shit we can throw into one season. Yes. So I have a couple other little tidbits, or Timbits, because Tim Hortons. <laughs>
1: timbits. I love it.
0: Um, so while he was raised in what he calls a secular Jewish home, uh, he identifies as an atheist. And he has said, uh, anytime I've tried to imagine squeezing myself into the box of any particular religion, I find it claustrophobic and oppressive. I think atheism is an acceptance of what is real. Mm. Uh, in a later interview in 2007, he elaborated on the role atheism plays in his films. I'm interested in saying, let us discuss the existential question. We are all going to die. That is the end of all conscious, uh, of all consciousness. There is no afterlife. There is no God. Now what do we do? That's the point where it starts getting interesting to me. Hmm. He has competed for the Palme d'Or at Cannes Film Festival. Is it Cannes or Cannes?
1: I, I like to say Can, but
0: well, he's competed for the Palme d'Or six times. Nice. Uh, including in 2002, sorry, not 2002, 2022, <laughs> with Crimes of the Future. Nice. He's never won it, but he's competed six times.
1: Well, he should get it.
0: I, yeah. I, agree.
1: I mean, depending on who he's up against, I mean, then maybe not. I don't know.
0: I could find the list. I found it before, but I didn't save it. That's cool. <laughs> he is a big, he's an avid reader, just like me. Mm hmm. Primarily a fan of science fiction, as I mentioned before, mm-hmm. although he read comics when he was a kid. Nice. Writing influences include uh, William S. Burroughs, Vladimir Nabokov, Ray Bradbury, Isaac Asimov, and Philip K. Dick. Wow. Early film influences include Unshin Andalu, Vampire, Freaks, and Bambi.
1: Nice.
0: See, I expected you to be confused by Bambi.
1: No, Bambi was one of the first times I cried in a theater. hmm There was a, a re-release in the theater, and, and my parents were like, oh, we're going to go watch it. And I was just barely old enough to like sit through a whole movie in a movie theater. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. That was rough.
0: Yeah. Bambi, according to Cronenberg, was a, uh, the first important film that he ever saw. Mm-hmm. Citing the moment when Bambi's mother dies as particularly powerful. Yeah. He actually wanted to have Bambi screened as part of a museum exhibit of his influences, but Disney wouldn't give them permission. So yeah. A horror film that particularly frightens him is Don't Look Now. Okay. Which I still haven't seen. Uh it's the one in Venice with yeah. uh Donald Sutherland.
1: Yeah, yeah. the red coat.
0: Yeah. And there are three films that he was offered the director's chair for that he turned down. Okay. And I find these particularly interesting. I don't know why, but I really do. All right. What do you got? 1987's Robocop.
1: Hmm. I mean, I like it the way it is. I, I, I mean, it's cheesy and it's awful, but it's also so gritty. I'm curious what Cronenberg would do with that because mm-hmm. in 87, I'm just trying to think of like what he was... What he was doing around that time—that would have been—that would have been equally gritty, but I think it would have been less slick and more sick.
0: Sorry, I'm looking it up now.
1: Which which could have been good or bad, but oh, that's that's really interesting because like I coerced my parents into renting that for me when I had strep throat.
0: So the kid. movies that he released in the '80s uh-huh. were Scanners, Videodrome, The Dead Zone, The Fly, and Dead Ringers.
1: So he was busy. That's probably why uh, he turned it down.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Because he released The Fly in 86 and then Dead Ringers in in 88. Yeah. So (laughs) another movie that he was offered the director's chair for, Star Wars Return of the Jedi.
1: That would have been dope. That would have been so awesome.
0: The last one is the one that I think is the most odd. Okay. Top Gun.
1: Yes. (laughs) Yes.
0: I just think, (laughs) like, really? Top Gun of all the films to be offered it just strikes me as very weird. Well,
1: I mean it's it's a I mean it's a propaganda piece at best, but a classic nonetheless.
0: It is so good.
1: I mean, now I'm just trying to think of how Howard Shore would have would have fit into that that mix for Top Gun because when I think Top Gun, I think the music of Top Gun. Yeah. and the volleyball scene and I don't I, know. I don't know. I don't know things that could be in I know an alternate universe somewhere. There is a Howard Shore and David Cronenberg collab for Top Gun, and I am kind of here for it. Yeah,
0: somewhere in the multiverse. Yeah, all right. So that is all I have for information on the man himself. Mm-hmm. The two movies that we chose, I will say one of them is probably the least body horror when it comes to Cronenberg's movies that are horror. I don't. I haven't right. seen Eastern Promises or A History of Violence. But as far as horror films go, the first film we're going to cover today is 1981's Scanners, Mm. which after watching it, I believe I referred to it as the least Cronenberg Cronenberg film I had ever seen. Yeah. (laughs) All right.
1: I recall you saying something like that.
0: Yeah. Scanners have great psychic power, strong enough to control minds. They can inflict enormous pain and damage on their victims. Daryl Revick is the most powerful of all the scanners and is the head of the underground scanner movement for world domination. Dr. Paul Ruth finds Cameron Vale a scanner that has eluded Revick, and trains him to infiltrate and destroy the underground movement. Yeah. This film.
1: That also that yeah. description also, while accurate, also tells you absolutely nothing about the film.
0: Yeah. Well, mm, we'll get into it. Yeah. So in addition to directing this film, Cronenberg uh, also wrote it. Mm-hmm. The cast, we have Stephen Lack as Cameron Vale, Michael Ironside as Daryl Revick. Yeah, yeah. Jennifer O'Neill as Kim Obrist, mm-hmm. Paul McGowan as Dr. Paul Ruth, Lawrence Dane as uh, Braden Keller, and Robert Silverman as Benjamin Pierce. Yes. So this movie just kind of. This movie just kind of starts.
1: Yeah, it starts, it pulls away from the station, and it doesn't let you have to roll credits.
0: I, well, it. <sighs> I'm going to go ahead and preface the rest of this review with the, I am not really a big fan of this movie. I, I have seen the, the, the big scene that everyone talks about. Yeah. Everyone in the horror industry, no matter what you do, if you're, you know, a critic, a podcaster, writer, director, whatever, everybody in the horror industry talks about how great the head exploding scene is. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And it is a great scene. I, I can't deny that is, that is, It's stellar. Yeah. However, because it's a great scene, it's the one that everyone always talks about. So between various, you know, horror documentaries, and I recently did a rewatch of Eli Roth's History of Horror, and um, Shudder's like 101 Scariest Horror Movie Moments of All Time. And so between all of that, I have seen that head exploding scene easily several hundred times.
1: In your life. Or yeah. just this past month?
0: In my life. Okay. In the past month, I've seen it probably 50. Wow. And so, I don't know. It just, that's the big moment of the film. And the rest of the film, I feel, pales in comparison. Okay. If that makes any sense.
1: Sure. Sure. Especially since it 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 is relatively early in the film.
0: Right. Well, and David Cronenberg actually even once talked about this being one of the most frustrating films he ever made mm. and that was because it was it was rushed through production so filming started before the script was even finished and ended within roughly 2 months so that the financing would qualify as a tax write off jeez because this please. was still when his fi- when his financing was being you know i mentioned earlier that the canadian government was right. yeah so basically he was forced to write the movie while he was shooting it and i feel like that Honestly, kind of explains the the weird flow of this film, the random edits that seem to happen.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's doing your homework on the bus.
0: It's It's because <laughs> there's a lot of things in this film that I feel like don't really make a whole lot of sense. I mentioned in the in my in the plot summary that, you know, there's this Dr. Ruth and he finds Cameron Vale and trains him by trains him. From what I can tell, there was one session where he's like, here's how you do this. And has him try and, like, speed up the heart rate of, like, a yoga master. Mm -hmm. And that's literally it. Yeah. I was talking about this movie with one of my coworkers, and he hadn't seen it in a while. And he's like, I I remember there being a montage. And this was, I had just finished the film. Like, I had just hit stop. And I was like, no, dude, there's no montage. There is a single scene. Mm -hmm. Cameron Vale basically goes from not even knowing he's a scanner, being just, like, this homeless guy who gets headaches... And can hear people's thoughts.
1: To the world's to, only hope. <laughs>
0: like, the world's only hope and being, like, the second best scanner next to Revic. And there's no real explanation of how long. There's no explanation of, like, how much time has passed. There's no uh, showing us any kind of other training that was done. I, it's very, I don't know.
1: It frustrated you.
0: It did. It really frustrated me. Because a lot of things with show with um, with filmmaking is you know show don't tell. Right. This movie doesn't really do either of those things. Mm. It doesn't show me like a montage of the training, but it also doesn't tell me. Well, we've been training him for five months now. He's he's as close to ready as he's gonna get or something. Right. Which is like not a great line, but at least it would make more sense than instantly being good at something, which isn't a thing. I will say being able to read minds is probably on my list of the top five powers I would not want.
1: Mm. Especially the way it floods in in this film where it's it's a cacophony of, of voices. Yeah. You know, it's, it's the worst case scenario of being able to read minds where you just, it's an open tap. It's just flowing in.
0: Yeah. Uh, it also reminds me, at least parts of this film remind me a little bit of X-Men. Mm. Specifically, um, Revik's group has a very, like, Brotherhood of Mutants.
1: Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, yeah. Yeah,
0: Magneto kind of vibe of we're the next step and we should rule over regular humans.
1: Right, we're better than humans. Yeah. We're meta-humans.
0: Yeah. Well, and one of the other interesting things I feel is, Cameron doesn't know who the fuck Daryl Revik is. He's never no. heard of him. The only reason he hates him is because he's told to. Mm-hmm. So it's it's this very weird film where you have a, you have a protagonist who I, I feel doesn't have a whole lot of, of agency.
1: He's kind of pushed along through the conveyor belt as the new weapon to fight Revic. Right.
0: Exactly. It, it it gets most of the way through the film before he makes like any real decisions that are his own decisions, if that makes sense. Mm
1: hmm. I get that. Mm.
0: There is also this weird part (laughs) that I, I remember bringing up with you when after I watched the film. Mm hmm. Where they compare, they compare computers
2: to the human
0: brain saying that a computer has a nervous system, which I'm like, I'm not a genius when it comes to computers, but I don't think that's how computers work. I don't think computers have a nervous system in the way that humans have a nervous system. And the other thing is humans have willpower and computers don't.
2: Right.
0: So I, the whole, there's this whole scene where he uses a phone line to hack a computer with his mind and, like, read the information and just, and, like, basically downloads the information from the computer to his brain. And I'm like, I don't, I know this is meant to be, like, sci-fi, but, like, I don't think that's, that's really stretching it for me.
1: Yeah. So he, he essentially tried to freak it, because uh, that would be hacking with a telephone, through a telephone line, that'd be freaking. Yes. With a pH. You yeah. Know, like fat. With a PH, but
0: Mm -hmm.
1: old uh, war game style.
0: Yeah, exactly. One of my favorite parts of this movie is towards the end. So it turns out that Cameron and Ravik are actually like brothers and Dr. Ruth is their dad, which I don't know, whatever. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't really matter. Okay. I, I don't feel like it really matters. But they have this like mind fight. Mm hmm. That very much reminded me of that episode of South Park, where Cartman thought he was psychic. And then there's this part where these other psychics come into his house, and they're having a mind fight, but it's just them with their fingers going, Get out of the way, Mom, we're having a mind fight. It reminded me of that (laughs) so much.
1: I've never seen that.
0: I'm going to have to pull it up for you because okay. at least that scene.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. But
0: like, that's what it reminded me of because it's just them like staring at each other, like staring veins pop out more staring, more veins pop out. And then eventually like Kim comes into the room and there's like a charred body on the ground because a pa- Cameron somehow lit himself on fire or Daryl lit him on fire. I don't fucking know. Cameron ends up on fire. There's a charred body on the ground and then you look over at Revic and he's speaking with Cam's voice and suddenly has Cam's eye color and is like, "We did it, Kim. We won." And I'm like, "How? What do you mean you won? Was this your end goal? Because you did not telegraph that at any point to anyone." <laughs> How is taking over this guy's body end game for y'all? I don't understand. What baffles me about this there are two sequels to this film. Yeah. There are two sequels and two spin spin-off films. Mm-hmm. The spin-off films? Scanner Cop. <laughs> I'm not even fucking joking.
1: I haven't touched those.
0: Well, and here's the other thing. Darren Lynn Bozeman, who is a horror director, he directed several of the Saw films. Mm-hmm. He tried to get a remake made in like the early aughts, but specifically said he would not do it if David Cronenberg didn't approve of it. David accru- David did not approve of it so it didn't get done. Cool. <laughs> People have been trying to remake this or make like TV shows and it's just not it, it'll it just keeps not happening and I'm fine with that. I feel like it's because of the because of the way this film was made because it was rushed because he was filming it as he was writing it it's not a fully formed idea. Hmm. Does that make sense?
1: I understand your point.
0: Okay, so I've talked a lot. What are your thoughts on this movie? Well, I love, respect,
1: and understand your standpoint from start to finish on Scanners.
0: Thank you? I I don't need your permission.
1: I wasn't giving you permission. I was just saying I I acknowledge and (laughs) respect it. Okay. Here's a counterpoint. I saw this as a child. To me, this was a superhero movie. It didn't have to make too much sense because, one, I was a child. I was having a hard enough time following the plot to begin with. Two... If, if you've ever been dragged along, like a friend calls and says, hey, we got to go over somewhere, there's an emergency, whatever. You know, you're in your late teens, 20s, whatever. And you're like, okay, I don't even know what's going on, but I'm here to help my friend who's friends with this person who I tertiary, tertiarily know, you know, or, you know, a friend of a friend of a friend. Tangentially. Yeah, tangentially. Yeah. You know, not tangina, but, but, but oh ta- tangentially known. Yes. Um, So you may not have. All of the pieces of information. So you're like, okay, so what's happening now? And it's like, next thing you know, you're sitting on someone's couch and they're like, hey, did you want some pizza? We got some pizza. And you're like, there's pizza? Like, no one told me that. And they're like, yeah, it's so and so's birthday. And you're like, well, shit, if I had known I'd have gotten a present, they're like, no, don't worry about it. And then you see them and you actually know that person, but you didn't know that person from a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend that this was actually someone that you used to work with like three years ago. And you're like, holy shit. That's kind of how this movie feels to me, where you're just kind of along for the ride. Okay. And not everything's going to make sense. You know why? Because you're not a fucking scanner. If you're a scanner, it makes sense.
0: I don't think... I I disagree with that, but okay.
1: But you brought up the whole point of the X-Men, and that brings me to this point. Again, I saw this as a child. I had no supervision. Thanks, folks. Anyway, from the time I saw this movie, I would concentrate and look like a toddler trying to shit their pants at the back of people's heads, trying to see if I could get anything... (laughs) And periodically, I would see people, like, hit the back of their head. Like, I was just trying to focus, like, a laser beam on the back of their head. And they'd go back and they touch their head or they'd, like, rub on it. And at first, I was like, okay, purely happenstance. But I did it, like, every period of class. And it, like ha- that g- it worked every single time. I'm like, all right, cool. I need to get stronger at it.
0: You're like that guy on Kids in the Hall who's like, that crashed their heads.
1: Yes. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, but it, But I didn't want to blow anyone's head up. But I wanted it to get stronger to... You know, so I could potentially, you know, I mean, if you push me there, sort of situation.
0: Well, and they're able to also like influence people's actions and stuff too.
1: Which is what I was focused on.
0: Yeah. That's
1: why you're all listening right now. I'm kidding. No, it is not. (laughs) It's mostly for Tia.
0: Oh, I also doubt that.
1: (laughs) But I I just found it very aspirational, dark superhero movie. I mean, I saw Robocop at an early age. I see Robocop as a superhero because he fights OCP. Uh, We've got... We've got, you know, dudes whose name I don't even remember. Doctor Ruth throws me off because my entire life, Dr. Ruth has been a woman. Mm-hmm. A little tiny woman that, you know, says vagina and 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 penis and We were just talking
0: about her before she we started yeah, recording because she yeah. just celebrated her ninety fifth birthday. Yeah, she's still kicking. Good for her.
1: And I remember being being a child and seeing Doctor Ruth and going, That can't be the same Doctor Ruth and then I see this dude and I'm like, What? But for me, it's just a nostalgic ride. It's It's kind of bonkers. It does kind of... uh, I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this here. It does kind of release prematurely um, as far as like the big moment. You know, usually a... a, uh,
0: A set piece like the head explosion scene would usually come towards the end of a film.
1: Or at least midpoint where it's like, okay, I've seen this. Now I have to take action. You know, that could be the call to action. That could be something else. But you know this. It's
0: like in the first twenty minutes. Yeah, and
1: the thing is, it's handled so nonchalantly. It's it's like, well, oh, well, that happened, and this guy that was whose whose head got blown up, he was supposed to be like the most powerful, you know, scanner in the world, and Revix just sitting there going, Psh, please, yeah. But if nothing else, it was just kind of like gritty, dirty fun. It Fair. You, you, like again, it, it's like. Walking around at a party and you only know one person. You don't know what's going on. You don't have the inside scoop on the conversation, but you hear parts of it and you're like, what?
0: Yeah. Fair enough.
1: And it's short.
0: Yeah, it is not a very long film. It's an hour and a half long. Yeah. So,
1: worst case scenario, it's 90 minutes. It's not three hours.
0: Yeah. Are we ready to rate this thing?
1: Yeah, I am.
0: Do you want to give your rating first?
1: I do. All right. I I mean, I am. Whatever it is, I'm going to rate it. All right, go for it. I'm going to give it three skulls. Okay. Because it's more than just checking off a box. It's strapping in for a ride. It's going to take you places. You're going to have opinions. Is the ending good? Is the ending bad? I don't know. The several times I've seen it, I can't decide. Because, I mean, there's so many questions. Like, so many unanswered questions at the end of that film. That the, more the th-
0: sequels do not answer. Like... I read you, the plot summaries for the sequels. Yeah, like, it, they, yeah no. Yeah.
1: But, like... It's worth a shot, especially if this is your jam, jump on it. If you're not sure, check it out. At least stay for for the iconic bit so you can be like, yeah, I've seen that. And you don't have to talk about it anymore because your friends are like, oh, yeah, you've seen that.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Um, So I'm rating this to Skulls. Mm -hmm. I feel like it would have benefited from more time to develop the script prior to filming. Sure. Just the story isn't fleshed out. Things don't happen in a way that makes sense to me. The effects are great, mm-hmm. but I have, ar- I had already seen most of them a million times. So, b- but again, we decided two stars basically means it ticks a box. And this, now I can say I've seen it. So now when I'm doing those like list, vi- those list challenges where it's like, click all the movies you've seen. Mm-hmm. I can now click scanners as one that I've seen.
1: Right. Ooh, bonus, bonus feature. Yes. I don't know if this is like the first appearance of sort of thing, but for me it was. So the first time I saw anybody using any kind of psychic or psychokinetic powers and get a nosebleed. Mm. And the second I saw it, I'm like, eleven. Yeah. It, it made me think of of Stranger Things. So, you know, there's that bridge to like right now, you know?
0: Yeah. That's that is fair.
1: You could even fanfic it retroactively as like the start of the program.
0: <laughs> well, and it's kind of like this weird combination of like MK Ultra experiments and mm-hmm. thalidomide children and that kind of whole deal. Yeah. So, which we may have to do an episode about at some point.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: At least, discuss like, just the, discussing the history of shit like that. Yeah. Because there were a lot of films around that time like Scanners. I mean, shit, there's also, like, Firestarter. Mm-hmm. And things like that that were, like, the government did experiments on people, and now their kids have powers.
1: And this is before stuff started becoming declassified. Yeah, that's true. So, good job.
0: <laughs> All right. So let's move on to our second film of the episode. Sounds great. 1986 is The Fly. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is kind of a remake. Yeah. Of the 1958 The Fly with Vincent Price, which I had actually never seen. Mm. I still haven't seen it. I should. Probably. Vincent Price is a, you know, Missouri icon. I should see more of his films. It's a joy. Um, Or was a joy. Yes. I still still get happy feelings from his work.
1: I just mean he's dead.
0: He he has passed away, yes. He passed away before I really knew who he was. Fair. So, a brilliant but eccentric scientist begins to transform into a giant man-fly hybrid after one of his experiments goes horribly wrong. It, which, I have thoughts about that. Yeah. <laughs> goes horribly wrong. Gets drunk and does shit he shouldn't. <laughs> So again, this was directed by Cronenberg, but a uh, screenplay by Charles Edward Pogue and David Cronenberg also contributed to the script. Mm-hmm. There's really three, only three people that are of import in this film. Right. Um, So we have Jeff Goldblum as Seth Brundle. Mm-hmm. Gina Davis as uh, Veronica Karani-Quaith. And John Getz as Stathis Borins. Which can I just say, every time they say that dude's name, I'm just like, Stathis is such a stupid name. Like I apologies to anyone in our audience who is named Stathis, but it's just a very, I don't know, it's, it's a, an odd name.
1: It, it, it's it's unusual. It's unique, but you know, I mean, I've met plenty of people with unique names, like me. I've known plenty of Tias in my life.
0: Oh, fair, okay. So this is another movie that it just kind of jumps right in, and and I'm I'm thinking back to Cronenberg's other work. That's just kind of how his stuff is.
1: You know what? Go for it. it. It It's like a great piece of music that has like a minute and a half long intro that has nothing to do with the piece of music at all. Right. And I'm, and I'm talking even metal does that, where you're like, "What? what is like, where this? Where are we going? And then it kicks in and you're like, there's the hook. Okay, I know what this is.
0: Yeah. It's kind of like um, Boston's. Uh, most people know the song Long Time, mm-hmm. but they don't know that there's like a big lead up that's called Foreplay. <laughs> right. So Veronica is this uh, freelance journalist. She's at this party with all these like science muckety mucks. And she has to write an article on something scientific because that's what she's currently being tasked to do. And then we've got, you know, Jeff Goldblum is the scientist who's like, I'm working on a thing that's going to change the world as we know it. And I I love how she's initially very like skeptical. Oh, yeah. She's like, literally everyone in this room has said that exact same line to me.
1: Yeah. What's what's your angle? What's your pitch? Because right. so far you've said nothing to impress me.
0: Right. Well, and it's it's basically it's teleportation technology, mm-hmm. and which one of which the main reason he's wanting to develop this is because he has like really bad motion sickness. Like mm-hmm. even riding in a car makes him nauseous, which that must suck. Yeah. <laughs> but I, the idea of whenever I see like science fiction stuff and they start talking about teleportation technology. I always, maybe it's because of the fly that I'm always very, like, suspicious Mm -hmm. of it. And, like, even, like, now, if they were to develop teleportation technology, I would be one of those people of, like, I don't trust it. Like, literally anything could happen. Anything could go wrong. This movie is proof that even the smallest thing, a fucking house fly, can fuck it up. Yeah. This movie is also very
1: 80s. Oh, it's so 80s is so 80s but i love gina davis i love
0: everyone has big floofy hair jeff
1: goldblum is fantastic his hair is amazing
0: yeah everyone has like big floofy hair Mm -hmm. gina davis has these like oversized clothes where it looks like she looks like a kid who raided their dad's closet Cause she's got, she's just swimming. Matchup. She is yeah. just swimming in these trousers and button up shirts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that girl at the bar, Tawny, is wearing like what appears to be like an all denim outfit mm-hmm. pretty much.
1: Yeah. It's a Canadian tuxedo.
0: Yeah. I just.
1: <laughs> I say that lovingly, Canadians.
0: Yeah. It's just, it's very, I don't know. I just find it amusing for some reason. I love one of the other parts that I didn't notice the first time I watched this movie is he's like bragging about the espresso machine he has. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's also very 80s. Oh, yeah. Because that was when like, that really started being a like, espresso and coffee bars and stuff really started being a big deal in America.
1: Yeah, he's talking about, you know, one of the big gold ones with the eagle on it. And I'm like, yeah, wait, are you teleporting us to Hudson Hawk?
0: I don't, I don't know. The way he talks about it, he's like, oh, it's like, like it's an, a genuine Italian espresso maker. Yeah. Which, those are expensive. Yeah, they are. Uh, I can't imagine how much it was back in the 80s. Um, no,
1: but I know how much they are now because I've been looking at one for you.
0: Don't, don't get me one. As, as <laughs> a joke. Don't.
1: As a as a joke. Okay, thank when, you. When we're billionaires or whatever.
0: <laughs> no, that's never going to happen.
1: See, and neither is your espresso machine.
0: Oh. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> He's sad i've owned an espresso machine it was just a small inexpensive one anyway i'll
1: get, I'll get you an inexpensive italian one as so. that? don't worry about it okay
0: we have starbucks it's fine okay so here's okay so the main crux of this film is the this computer the way that computers are in general is you have to teach them what how to read things right so he'd gotten his teleportation technology so far that it was fine with transporting inanimate objects right so he does one of ronnie's stockings like, things like that are fine but um, it can't handle organic material and he's not sure why So, like the first thing he, he tries to teleport a baboon and it goes through but it comes out inside out
1: yeah exactly. and then
0: he has to kill it
1: and yeah that that's for me that's actually the worst part of the movie because that baboon didn't sign a release that did you know
0: have you on. seen the sequel Yeah. The sequel, there's an inside-out dog. Yeah, I know. And they keep it alive to study it. It's fucked up. Yeah. But he ends up being able to figure out how to get around that. Mm -hmm. So he teleports the baboon. The baboon is fine. And then um, Ronnie figures out that Stathis, who is an editor for this science magazine, is going to publish this article about Seth and his work, even though he doesn't want it published. Right. So when she leaves to talk to Stathis...
1: Who's also her ex.
0: Who is also her ex. Brundle gets jealous because at this by this point he and, and Ronnie have started a romantic relationship. Yeah. Gets drunk and just says, fuck it. I'm not going to wait to have the baboon tested and make sure that's nothing wrong. I'm not going to do all the things that I should do as a scientist. I'm just going to go for it.
1: The classic, um, I, I don't like using this term, but it, it's it's an umbrella trope. And that is the mad scientist eventually hits that arc where they say, I'm out of things to experiment on. It's time for me to experiment on myself.
0: Yeah. Really, it's just that he got drunk and did something stupid. Yeah. But it just happened to be the most stupid thing he could have done. Yeah. Because a fly gets in the pod with him. And the way the computer decides to interpret that is to fuse their DNA on a genetic level. Yes, And so at first, he just comes out and like is super strong and craves sugar and like has this insane sex drive. Yeah. But eventually he starts to have more physical transformation. There's the the hairs on his back. There's some discoloration to the skin.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And then we get the fingernails. Yeah. Which is just me sitting and watching this movie going, oh, no, oh, oh, God, no, not the fingernails, not the fingernails. (laughs) And then later on going, oh, my God, the teeth.
1: Yeah, the teeth (laughs) just kind of fall out like chiclets on the keyboard, I think. And yeah, and yeah, that that's fingernails didn't bother me as much as the teeth did. It was just, ah.
0: Well, and like, Ronnie comes back at one and he's like, starting he's or transformation is more obvious. Mm -hmm. Because the whole thing is he wanted her to go through too, because he thought this was just like. Oh, it just made me more strong. This is the next step in evolution, blah, right. blah, blah,
1: blah. I mean, this not is
0: realizing round- that there was actually something wrong when she said there was something wrong. Right. Until he goes back and looks through the data.
1: So theoretically, going through it without a fly, you wouldn't be stronger, crave sugar, or have a heightened sex drive. You would just have teleported across the room. You would just room. be
0: fine, yeah. And I, lo- I love you more than anything.
1: Yes. <laughs> Thank
0: you. But if you started to look like Brundlefly, I would, I would not hug you. I wouldn't be able to.
1: I understand that. I respect that.
0: I honestly don't think you'd want me to. No, probably not. I, I feel like this movie is probably the closest I will ever get to watching anything like uh, Tetsuo the Iron Man.
2: Mm. Okay.
0: This this movie, the first time I saw it was before you and I had ever met. Mm-hmm. I was in my twenties, mm-hmm. early twenties, and I would had a I had had a crush on Jeff Goldblum. Since I was like 10. Since Jurassic Park, I had had a crush on Jeff Goldblum. Right. So, of course, when I got older, I was like, I have to watch this movie. And it effectively killed any attraction I had to Jeff Goldblum for easily five years. Because any time after that, I would look at him and I'd be like, Brundlefly. Ugh. <laughs> no, thank you. One of the other things that I found really interesting about this movie is the things... Occasionally, you'll be watching a movie or a TV show... At least I have this. I don't know about other people. And it'll remind you of something that has nothing to do with it whatsoever. Yeah. So we see early on that his computer, um, he typically operates it using voice recognition. Yeah. And he gets to a point in his transformation where it no longer recognizes his voice. And it reminded me of an episode of Dexter's Lab.
2: Mm.
0: <laughs> where um, Dexter... Couldn't get into his lab anymore because all he could say was cheese omelette in French. hmm This reminded me of that.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: The difference being that he was able to, Brundle was able to tweak it to where it would take manual commands, whereas Dexter was just fucked because all he could say is omelette du fromage. So good. It's a good movie. It's just very, it makes you very uncomfortable. hmm I think that's that's the thing with body horror is it, it's supposed to make you uncomfortable.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's supposed to push your limits and say how about now? Are you okay now? Yeah. I'll check back in with you in a few minutes.
0: Yeah. Well, and I feel like that a lot of a lot of this film is also a very tragic love story. Oh yeah. Um but yeah, it's just
1: when your best hope is your sleazy ex, damn.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that yeah.
1: I mean his beard was on point. For the 80s.
0: That's true. Stathis did have a good beard.
1: I mean, anyone named Stathis should have a good beard.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, just saying.
0: Um, I only have one piece of trivia on this movie. Okay. Uh, so, in 1987, mm-hmm. for an interview on, um, uh, I think it's, I think it was a program, it was called Sinister Image. Okay. Vincent Price, who was the star of the original film, revealed that when this remake was released, he got a letter from Jeff Goldblum. Really? Yeah. Jeff Goldblum wrote him a letter saying, I hope you like this as much as I liked yours. Aww. I know. Isn't that adorable? And Vincent Price was very touched by the letter, so he composed a reply and went to see it. And he describes the remake as wonderful right up to a certain point. It went a little too far. And I'm like, okay, I get that. I can understand where you're coming from on that. Because I, yeah.
1: Well, and, I mean, some of that you could chalk up to personal taste. You could chalk it up to uh, generational sensibilities. Yes. You know, I mean, yeah.
0: I mean, like, there's literally a point where, like, she accidentally rips off his jaw and then his skin just starts sloughing off.
1: Yeah, and there's a few times where he vomits on somebody and it just starts dissolving them.
0: Yeah, because that's how flies eat. Yeah. They, yeah. So what are your thoughts on this film?
1: First of all, every time I see this film, it reminds me how much I love Gina Davis.
0: She's amazing. I love her.
1: Like I, I can't I can't falter. The commitment to the character, the eccentricities, the heightened eccentricities post teleportation and everything in between, I feel really take this from a body horror movie to like you said, a, a touching tragic love story. Yeah. Of a genius inventor and someone who, at first, was just doing it for a job, and then became someone who actually
0: cared. Yeah, she beca- She becomes more invested.
1: Uh, her nightmare of uh, oh having the God. Brundle baby.
0: Because she she ends up finding out after this transformation has happened that she's pregnant, Yay. and she doesn't know if she got pregnant before or after. Right. And yeah, that nightmare where she gives birth to a giant maggot. Um that is uh Cronenberg's cameo actually because mm-hmm. he's the the gynecologist or the obstetrician delivering the baby. Yeah,
1: he's not the maggot. No. Um this is definitely a beautiful period piece uh, as as far as you know, late 80s. Mhm. The the conversation, the writing just I really feel for Seth Brundle, you know, cuz he seems like he, He knows where he's going and he's working on something and he knows it's going to be big. And it's just getting someone or a group of people to shut up and listen for a minute and look for them to acknowledge what he's doing and maybe help support him. Because he seems to be pretty much doing this like, I mean, he's doing this in his apartment. It's not like he's going to some lab somewhere and working on it. It, I don't know what's funding it other than himself.
0: Uh there's a company Bartok Industries.
1: Bartok Industries. Okay.
0: They're they're much more they're big in the second film.
1: Right. But even still most respectable industries wouldn't fund teleportation experimentation within your loft apartment, which was a stunning op- apartment, might I add. Um you get rid of the the science equipment could could be a great thing. Just I don't think science equipment's great decor. Like teleporter pods and such. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to have the strength of a fly. I'd love to be able to crawl on walls. I just wouldn't want any parts of my body to be like sloughing off, which that's that's where I draw the line of, nah, nah, that's that just that too real. You you did say something earlier that triggered something in my head that I had to write down on my phone. Because mm-hmm. you said that he, he wound up turning into a man fly something. Yeah. And my first thought was... Well, I mean, it's a good thing they didn't go with Manfly instead of The Fly because then Howard Shore would have to either partner up or step aside so Manfly Steamroller could come in and do the music. Yeah.
0: I know that's not the name of that group.
1: I know it's Mannheim Steamroller, but I'm saying yeah. Manfly Steamroller. I you know, know. Just for this film. Uh, no disrespect, Mannheim Steamroller. <laughs> but it's, it's a, the bad pun of, of the week, I guess. Okay. All in all, the pacing of the film is excellent there's there's no point in in the movie where i'm sitting here going can we just get on with it
0: well and one of the things i like about this film is that it's one of the rarities where the scientist acknowledges that he fucked up oh yeah he's like i made a huge mistake how do i fix it and you mentioned earlier about, like, he, he knows what's happening to him. He knows what he's becoming. There's a line that he says at one point to, to Ronnie that I would, um, I, I had to look up real quick. He says, uh, he's basically telling her, you know, insects don't have politics. They're brutal. They don't have compassion. They don't have compromise. You can't trust an insect. And, uh, she's like, I don't know what you're trying to say to me. And he says, I'm saying I'm an insect who dreamt he was a man and loved it, but now the dream is over and the insect is awake. Basically saying, like, eventually my humanity will be gone and I will hurt you.
1: Yeah, there will be no reasoning with me. There will be no, you know, listen to my voice and you'll remember me.
0: There will be almost nothing of me left is what he's afraid of. And that does kind of hold true when we get to the end of the film. It seems like there is just enough of him left that when he tries to, you know, go through, he wants to go through the teleporter again with Ronnie and basically become like one big thing. One love. Yeah. One heart. Well, there ends up being, you know, Stathish shoots some stuff and some things happen. He ends up basically going through and becoming a fusion of man, fly and teleporter pod yeah and he seems to have just enough of himself left in him that when ronnie lowers the shotgun he grabs it and lifts it back up and points it at his own head as 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 if to say please end it
1: end it do not let your guard down either end it like you have to stop
0: i can't do it myself you need to end this i am in agony I don't want to live like this.
1: Mm-hmm. The effects make up.
0: Oh my god, it's Phenomenal. so... Oh, it gives me chills. It creeps me out. Ugh.
1: I also, I, I i didn't have... I wasn't paying attention, didn't have the will to freeze frame it, but you were talking about in, in his medicine cabinet where he was, he was storing his parts that were falling off and you, you said you may have seen his penis in the cabinet. I don't know if it's there. I saw
0: something that looked like it could be a dick.
1: Intrepid I couldn't
0: quite tell.
1: Intrepid listeners, if you want to go check it out, please. Let if us know. somebody
0: wants to go frame by frame, <laughs> I ran it back three times and couldn't quite tell. There was an ear in a jar. He was putting his teeth in there. Yeah, I, I mean don't know. it's
1: blinking. You miss it, but like I'm, I'm kind of curious, but not curious enough to like load the film up and
0: frame watch by it. frame it. Yeah. No. All in all, I think this is a good film. It is probably the when it comes to body horror, mm-hmm. as far as I will go for a while. Okay. Um, yeah. I just...
1: I mean, I am i don't want to push your limits beyond what you're comfortable with.
0: I appreciate that.
1: But I do applaud you for taking the leap to go back to something you've had seen. Because uh, you and I both had seen this film before.
0: Yeah, it had been a while.
1: And, yeah, I mean, it had been a while for me, too. And I'm sitting here going, "Ooh, man, this is a little more raw than I remember. Yeah. But in the best way possible. Because if they had held back on any of it, it wouldn't have sold it to me. Yeah. It had to It has be, to go hard. Like, it's it's not body horror to gross you out. It's body horror to tell you the story of, this transition is happening, okay? You're just along for the ride. Right. You're not going to stop this. This is what's happening now. Mm-hmm. Deal with it.
0: So, um, let's go ahead and rate this. Yes. So, I give this 3.5 skulls. Okay. It's, it's a body horror classic. Mm-hmm. And again, every time I watch this film, like, my attraction for Jeff Goldblum fizzles. (laughs)
2: Mm
0: -hmm. I'm just like, okay, we're done with this again now for a while, I guess. The practical effects are amazing. And you've got this, like we mentioned, this equal parts science gone wrong plus tragic love story.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And it's just, I feel like it's one that if you are a fan of horror... If you can stomach it, you should see it at least once. Yeah.
1: I would give this four skulls flat out, and here's why. Okay. You mentioned before about the self-aware scientist. Yes. Even while the transformation is happening, he is both you know, startled by it, but also the scientist in him is still so present that he's like, well, this is really interesting. I mean, how far is this going to go? Like,
0: He still at least knows that he should document it.
1: Yeah, so he, he's documenting it, and he's like, "Keep, you know... Like, the stuff in the cabinet, is he keeping it just in case he can put them back in later? I don't know, but that's that's in Brundle's mind. Which, wild. But my main reason for giving it four Skulls is... I saw this in theaters, and I've never stopped loving this movie. This, for me, is, is the horror version of Goonies for me. Wow. it It's an excellent film. It showcases an aspect, a genre, within horror... But also tells a touching, not overly complex story. Even with all the science stuff, it's not overly complex. Yeah. You know? And it's sweet, and the interactions between the characters are relatively believable. You know, you 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 see the mangled baboon, and the intended goal is for everyone in the audience to be upset. Yeah. And to say this machine is dangerous. It demonstrates it beautifully. Stalking, safe, baboon, not. So Brundle should have been... I mean, Brundle's way alphabetically after Baboon. That's fair. Should try to Bucket. Well. (laughs) Wait, that's that's alphabetically (laughs) after him. Never mind. Don't take that advice. But I don't know. It's just, and maybe I'm being clouded by nostalgia, but isn't that what opinions are? Is voicing your thoughts based on nostalgia and experience?
0: Occasionally, yes. All right. So I do have some uh, unanswered questions.
1: All right. Lay them on me. All
0: right. T has not answer questions. (laughs) Yay. These are all in regards to the fly. Okay. Um, so why, why is he using baboons? Because most stuff that I've seen, as far as like scientific experimentation, they use like rats or rabbits, which would be a lot easier and cheaper to acquire and house.
1: I believe he was going for a baboon because it was as close to a human as he could get.
0: Yeah, I guess. But, like, part of the reason that we use rabbits and rats is because the it's close enough without being, like, insanely expensive.
1: Right. But that's chemicals, typically. Chemicals, drugs, things like that,
0: hmm. rather
1: than, you know, physiology. Yeah. Whereas, you know, most primates are going to have at least enough common physiology where even if something should fail post-mortem, you could actually do an autopsy and go, "What failed? Oh, the heart's inside out. We need to fix that, calibrate it, adjust it, move on." Okay. And you could do that coldly with something that is closer to human than mouse.
0: Weird. Or okay. Rabbit. Weird, but sure.
1: That's just a theory.
0: Yeah. Uh, you mentioned um, so at one point, Stathis is uh, trying to stop Rundle from putting Ronnie in the teleporter and. Mm-hmm. Seth uh, vomits on his hand, which causes his hand to dissolve, then vomits on, like, his foot.
1: Yeah, a little ankle action there.
0: How does Stathis not instantly go into shock?
1: When in a heightened adrenaline situation, where it is literally life and death, Mm -hmm. pain tends to take a back seat unless it is absolutely just, like, blinding. I mean, like being lit on fire has not stopped certain people from going.
0: That's, I mean, that's fair. I, but I feel like having acid literally poured on your hand and your ankle.
1: Could it have killed the nerve endings before it could have sent the signal?
0: I don't know. The way it was dissolving, I don't, I don't know. Mm. Also in regards to Staphus in that scene. So Seth is, un, is under the idea that if he does this whole teleport, this advanced teleportation thing with like someone who's fully human, he may be able to fix himself. Hmm. So why not just knock out Stathis and do the fusion with him?
1: Because who wants to be with her ex? Ew. Yeah,
0: I'm. It's not <laughs> a personality thing. It's a ge- it's a genetic makeup thing.
1: I don't know. It seemed like there was a lot of insinuation that he was uh, playing with a a uh, more developed tool. I don't know. There seemed to be a little bit of innuendo there. No. Okay. Um, I don't know. Maybe yeah. he, he didn't want to deal with shrinkage.
0: I don't know. My last unanswered question. So at one point in the movie, after Ronnie finds out she's pregnant, she's freaking out because she doesn't know if she got pregnant before the fly teleporter incident or after. She has no idea. And she doesn't want to potentially give birth to, like, some sort of weird monstrosity. So she goes to have an abortion. Um, Seth interrupts it and kidnaps her and blah, 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 blah. So after the movie is over, why didn't she go ahead with the abortion? Because the second film, if you've seen the second film, Mm -hmm. the beginning of that movie is Ronnie, played by a different actress, giving birth to her and Seth's son, who it turns out does have some of the fly genetic makeup in him. And so I'm wondering why she didn't just go ahead and do it, and I'm curious if maybe it was a situation like in, uh if you remember the movie Splice, mm-hmm. where maybe Bartok paid Ronnie to keep it so they could have it for genetic experimentation or blah, 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 blah. I don't know.
1: I mean, it's definitely a possibility. Yeah. Especially with their increase in the second film, but.
0: Yeah, because they are a major, they're a major player in the second film.
1: My My only complaint about the second film, which I'm not trying to whole focus onto that is it doesn't have Gina Davis and it doesn't have Jeff Goldblum, so why am I here?
0: It has Nick Stoltz. Cool. And Daphne Zuniga. Okay. Well, you know.
1: But not Gina Davis and Jeff no,
0: Goldblum. No, no, it doesn't. You are correct. It does not have either of them in it.
1: <laughs> so I don't know. That's uh those are some really good questions though. Thank um you. I mean all my answers are absolute bullshit just off the top top of my head.
0: Well and i do not ne- I'm not necessarily looking for answers when I ask these questions. I just I know they're just things that occur to me again like I like I said last time sometimes when you're watching a film critically and analytically you ask questions that you wouldn't necessarily ask if you're just watching it for entertainment purposes exactly and so which is uh, the unfortunate result of of my lot in life
1: (laughs) but one we get to share together hooray yay wait (laughs) I mean yay us but like
0: my yeah no I get it So, yeah, I think that's going to do it for us for this week. Uh, Again, everybody, I hope you're having a safe and happy Pride. If you're a member of the Alphabet Mafia. As always, you can find us on our website. We are h2horrorcast.com. There's uh, you can send us an email. There's links to our episodes and like blog posts and other stuff. There is also a link to our Patreon. We are patreon.com slash h 2 horrorcast you can support us for as little as a dollar a month. And uh, that goes towards uh, running films when we have to and upgrading equipment when that also becomes necessary. And, you know, all the stuff that goes into making the show a good show. Mm -hmm. If you're not able to be a Patreon supporter, you can support us in other ways. You can uh, rate us and review us on platforms where that is an option. So like iTunes, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google, Spotify, all that stuff. Uh, And you can also share us with a friend, if you're so inclined.
1: You can even follow us or subscribe, which doesn't cost anything.
0: That is true. And that is also helpful. All right. So uh, until next time, I'm Tia.
1: And I'm still David.
0: And stay spooky, friends.
1: Bye. Music for this episode is Save Us Now by Shane Ivers. Our artwork is by Katherine Nixon.